What are men actually thinking? Pretty much that they awesome and who they want me? Pesco is right. Most of the men we interview, in addition to our college and friends, say they seem to spend less time thinking about the possible consequence of failure. David Redgrass is the Vice President of Human Resources at Marriott. For years, he's been our go-to management guru. David has to do a lot of public speaking in his job and love it. When he takes the stage, his dimple softens his corporate uniform, a dark suit or tie. He say he become numb to any criticism from the room. He isn't questioning whether his content is good enough or whether his or whether he flubbed a line or two. He tells himself he's going to ace the the presentation, be witty and impress his bosses. I just get up there and perform, he said. He said, the trick is not to overthink it. And if things do go wrong, he struck them off. I don't dwell. I don't dwell on stuff. When it's done, it's done. We heard the same attitude from most of the men we'll talk with. Even when they are natural performer, they just move through the challenge with less baggage. Do men dub them? Do men dub themselves sometimes? Of course. But they don't examine, examine those dubs in such excruciating detail. And they certainly don't let those dubs stop them as often as women do. If anything, men feel toward overconfidence. We were surprised to learn that most of the time they arrive at the state quite honestly. They aren't consciously trying to fool anyone. Columbia Business School even has a term for it now. They call it harness overconfidence. And they have found that men on average rate their performance to be 30% better than it is. When we raise the notion of confidence gap with number of male executives who supervise women, what we heard was enormous frustration. They believe that a lack of confidence is fundamentally holding women back, but they worry about saying anything, terrified of sounding sexist. Most don't experience our lack of assurance, they don't understand it, and they don't know how to talk about it. One male senior law partner told us the story of a young female law associate who was excellent in every respect except that she didn't speak up in the client meeting. His takeaway was that she wasn't confident enough to handle the account, but he didn't know how to raise it as an issue with a seeming offensive. He eventually came to the conclusion that confidence should be a formal part of the performance review process because it is such an important aspect of doing business. David and Lewis agree that the confidence expressed or not expressed, even the most subtle way, can make or break or rise up the ladder. Among the very top corporate women he deals with, 
it's not an obvious lack of confidence he sees because the senior executive women in his organization are quite sure about their abilities. But there's sometimes something he called a hesitation. There's a higher likelihood the women will hesitate at key moment he, su- he suggested. I think because they are often unsure what scorecard will be used to judge behavior, and they are afraid to get it wrong. I asked later, what happened at the point in the presentation? It seemed as though there was a fork in the road. They say I couldn't get a feel for the audience, how they were responding, I couldn't decide whether to go right or left. A hesitation. It's a fear of failure, perhaps, or a desire to do it perfectly. Perhaps it's the result of habits formed over decades as the, as the, as the top student. It's also a sense, usually accurate, say Rodriguez, that women are being judged by a confusing and shifting yardstick. Or it could be the female brain at work, carefully assessing the emotion of the room. Whatever the causes, the hesitation has consequences. Rodriguez say it can affect whose ideas are adopted or even who gets a promotion. There is something so burdensome about the fright of being female that when asked to simply na- name our gender before a math test, we automatically perform worse. We will floor by the result of one experiment in particular. To explore the impact of stereotype threat, as it known, Harvard University gave a group of 46 highly gifted Asian American female undergraduates one of three questionnaires, each calibrated to play into different stereotypes. One questionnaire emphasized the stereotype that Asians are good at math. The second emphasized the stereotype that women are bad at math. And the third questionnaire, one administrator in the control group was neutral, emphasizing neither stereotype. After completing the questionnaire, all the women took a difficult math test. The women who were reminded of their Asian heritage correctly answered 45% of the question. Those in the control group answered on average. 49% correctly. The women who were reminded only of the gender scored the lowest, 43% right. We don't really need to read a few paragraphs about women being bad at math in order to stereotype and handicap ourselves in more consequential way. Harold Packard conducted a study to figure out how to get more women into top management. The numbers said it all. The authors found that the women working at HP applied for promotion only when they believed they met 100% of the qualification necessary for the job. The men were happy to apply when they thought they could meet 60% of the job requirement. So essentially, women feel confident only when we are perfect or practically perfect. 
underqualified and underprepared men don't think twice about leaning in. Overqualified and overprepared, too many women still hold back, and the confident gap in the additional lines through which to consider why it is women don't lean in. Even when we are prepared to tolerate the personal disruption that come with aiming high, even when we have a plenty of ambition, we fundamentally dub ourselves. That's Confident Quotes, page 19 and page 20, about what are men actually thinking. Thank you for my reading.